I'm Alex. I'm Shannon. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lore, is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Hmm. I've been playing this game called Vampire Survivors. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really addictive, and if you don't like addictive games, you shouldn't play it. But otherwise, I can recommend it. Yeah, that's a, it's a good one. I, I did not get addicted to it. I did play it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good game. That's a healthy relationship. <laughs> I also found it quite addictive. Yeah, and they keep making them. Like, this became a genre immediately because it's so easy to make. I mean, not 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 necessarily a good one, but it's so easy to make one of those. Yeah. It's like an addictive phone game, but it isn't a phone game. But it is a phone game now. Well, no. it might as well be. <laughs> but it isn't full of ads, so... right. I, yeah, that's what it is. It's an addictive phone game where I don't have to watch a bunch of ads. I can just pay them a reasonable amount of money to pay their play their addictive game. Yeah. You know, one thing I really appreciated about it is that it is addictive, but there is like a hard stopping point every 30 minutes. Guaranteed, it will throw you out and make you go back to the main menu. And that's a good time to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, I... When I've played roguelikes, I remember playing Binding of Isaac a bunch, and at first, when I sucked at it, it was great, because I was like, oh, this game's over in five minutes. <laughs> uh, and then when I got good at it, I was like, each run is like an hour and a half, and I'm like, oh my god, this game is so long. Yeah, yeah. Get bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's the solution. Uh, Shannon, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Can't think of anything. I'm just a person. Me too. Mm, mood. <laughs> Are we ready to start with some topics? Let's do it. Yep. Alex, your topic is reading music badly. Yeah. So Shannon and I joined a choir recently, just kind of a casual one. And notably, neither of you is plugging that. No, absolutely not. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, okay. All right. We're still pretty early in the season. We'll, we might get better. I mean, we'll, we have definitely gotten oh, better. come on. We're not that bad. We're not that bad. TM. <laughs> um, it's the Sunnyvale Singers. They're a group that has been around for a very long time, and we have only just joined. And they're really quite lovely. They all they all sound great. We're just newbies. Uh, we're doing a bunch of like more fun pop based songs this time around. Apparently, they often do quite a wide range of things, but this time around, we're doing a lot of like musicals and pop songs and sitcom songs and things like that. So it's been uh, really fun. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's fun. And like, I I'm enjoying how they are okay with us taking a very casual approach to it and having, in my case, no singing experience to speak of. But what I do have is experience playing the piano and my relationship to the sheet music from my piano days and now my singing are so wildly different that it's just been like kind of mind blowing. Yeah, tell me more about that. So like I was never particular, I never really learned music theory, but like when I, I got to be pretty competent at like producing music with a piano, right? And so I could look at the sheet music and push a bunch of buttons and like nice music would come out, but I really didn't get it. And now that like, there's no buttons to push. I have to make tones with my mouth and stuff. Like this is like really changed the game. And it, in a way that's just so different, I think, than other people's experience. And in particular, Shannon, who has absolutely no ability to read music, but sings very nicely, but writes notes on her sheet music like, 
More like Zelda. <laughs> yeah, like I can't actually read sheet music. And in the past, when I have sung in groups, I have just ignored the sheet music entirely and learned entirely by listening to it over and over the parts I'm supposed to do and making up my own ways in my head that I'm remembering to do it. And this time around, since I'm a little ADHD and there's nothing else to do, I have been looking at the sheet music a lot and I think I'm actually starting to learn what things mean on it a little bit which I guess is a good thing but I also take my own notes because everybody around me the the director will say something to make a note of something and everybody else will write down something on their sheet music that I'm sure means something it's like you know they'll put a little symbol and I'll be like huh and then I'll be over here like this but do it more alto-y or I'll just write dun 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 <laughs> or various or i'll make like a weird squiggly line that is indicative of what it's supposed to flow like or as zelda or as <laughs> rather as alex was pointing out me writing more zelda e as a note just because the particular lululu that i'm trying to remember to me sounds like something that i heard in ocarina of time once i don't know it sounds zelda e and for some reason saying that has helped me remember that little note triplet so yeah. yeah, I just do things. Anyway, our friend was listening to us talk about this, and her way of describing this was essentially that I can speak English perfectly if I have heard it, but I can't read a book. So instead of like, instead of reading a story out loud, I just have someone tell me the story over and over again until I have it perfectly memorized and then recite it. And meanwhile, Alex doesn't even know English at all. <laughs> but can read a book and phonetically knows what each of the phenomes sound like. And he can't understand it at all, but he can look at the book and say the words out loud because he's memorized all the phenomes. He just has no idea what they mean. This was her way of trying to describe why both of our ways of reading music were terrible. That's, that's interesting. Definitely wish I'd learned music theory at some point. That would have made all of this way easier. It is interesting how you can learn how to sight read like piano music and I could I could imagine somebody doing it without ever hearing the music, just learning what notes to push and when, and they're doing it right. Whoa. I mean, that makes sense to me, especially with piano, because there are, you know, to some extent, corresponding, I mean, buttons for the dudes. Like, you just, yeah. you just be like, this one is this button, kind of. The kinda. keys are just right there in front of you. And I've, I've never learned to sight read piano music, but... I don't think like when the, when you when you look at the notation, it goes right from the, your eyes to your fingers, and at no point do you ever hear it in your head. Like that's a different skill. Oh yeah. Okay. Whereas by comparison, when you sing, like there is no way to sing without first thinking of the note, hearing it in your head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The having to pull it up in your head part is you know challenging right it's so different Which, that's that's really getting at it for me i think is that now i have to be like wait what is that note and then also how do i make my throat do that <laughs> yeah well that's why knowing a starting note is so critical because i mean it, i don't know it's it's pretty easy to well relatively easy anyway to to memorize a series of notes from a starting note that it's supposed to sound like this in, in progression once once you figured that out. But um, trying to jump in there without knowing where you're supposed to start is rather impossible. Yeah. 
But even so, I'm having way more difficulty. Like I trace an interval on the page, right? And having to imagine, even given a starting note, what the next note is supposed to sound like is like it's a mental exercise. Yeah. Yeah. I remember um, I, w- I went to a church set a service service. Is that what they say? Mm. With uh, my girlfriend at the time. And they had a bunch of songs that everybody sang, like the whole congregation sang the songs. And there was like a hymn book that had all the music in it. Um, and I feel like I did a pretty good job. Like just, I can't sight sing, but I can look at the distance between the notes and say, oh, it's probably about that big. And, yeah. and then use that with like my understanding of how music works to just get th- get to the right note. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah. Oh, you're okay. You're talking. You mean in the sense of intervals? Okay. Yeah. 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 The in, in terms of the rhythm, but the rhythm is very forgiving in a choir. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's it's strange and to sort of piece together suddenly. Oh, that's what's happening there. I like. I had a whole moment the other day where we were singing this little outro bit and I'd only heard it in the context of them saying, Hey, everybody sight read this together. And I realized as we were doing it all of a sudden that I was singing both the soprano part and the alto part because I didn't realize that I was supposed to be singing less notes than right. yeah. that. And it, and I finally, you know, kind of realized it because I heard the woman next to me not singing as many notes as I was singing and then looked at the page and was like, Oh, yeah, it just kind of stops, huh? Like, it doesn't have all of that. Uh, I was just adding in what they were doing as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, when I was in school choir, that shit happened to me all the time. I would learn by listening to what people around me were singing. And when it came time to, like, grade me on how well I was singing my part and I was singing it by myself, I would, like, some of my notes would be other people's notes. Yeah, yeah. you would have just picked up on various other notes, Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely, I have that a lot where I I just do what, because I'm not relying on the reading of music, all I can rely upon is my memory of what sounds correct. And unfortunately, because human memory sucks, um, sometimes what I'm remembering is not the right thing, whether it be, uh, especially for these kinds of pop music songs and stuff, because I've heard, you know, I've heard California Dreamin' a million times in my life. So I had a hard time running through that one because I was like, oh, yeah, I have it down. I'm just supposed to be doing the melody here. But it was like slightly different than like the various recorded versions I'd heard before, you know, and and running through it and having to be like, nope, don't do this thing that you remember you're supposed to do because it's supposed to be different. And then you have to remember to be different. (laughs) So I have a lot of notes in my uh, sheet music that literally just say, go lower than you think you're supposed to i'll make a note that is in relation to what i think i want to do yeah so like i had a note on one saying you keep singing this too high so whatever pops into your head as normal shift it down to that and then the only problem with that is that eventually i get used to the downshift and then i start to second guess myself because i'm like wait is it supposed to be even lower then (laughs) or right you know or have i already adjusted yeah, yeah. Regarding knowing songs just from having heard them on the radio, uh, one of the things that I've discovered is in my head that like if I listen to a song in my head, I can it takes time. I have to sit down at a piano, but I can work out the chord progression of the song. Nice. I can like hear the individual, hear the chords in my head, hear the notes 
and then play the notes and then I can figure out what the chord is from there and it takes forever. But the information is there. The information is like in my head and I wonder like if I learned how to actually just hear this stuff, would I be able to like just blurt out the chord progression from for 10,000 pop songs? Hmm. Huh. That's pretty cool. I definitely can't do that. I want to know. I want to find out, but I don't want to put in the – I mean, actually, like, I should just put in the effort because it would be cool to be able to do that for songs I'm listening to. That'd be really handy. Yeah. I mean, then you could, like, learn how to play guitar or something and actually have a useful skill out of it, too. Oh, yeah. Speaking of different ways to make music, like, I have been playing guitar for my son at bedtime. Like, we added a guitar to the bedtime songs, and that kind of led to me just – holding the guitar for story time as well and just noodling around while we read books. Okay. Aw. I'm definitely, like, getting noticeably better at making it sound like music. Nice. But, like, a lot of the time I'm not audiating the notes before I play them. I am just – my fingers are going to the shapes that I know sound good. Okay. Like, huh. the, the intervals that, like, oh, yeah, if I put my finger here and then go to over here and then go over here, that's a pleasant interval. Um. And then sometimes I'll be like, oh, and then if I go down a half step, then that would be like, and then I can like combine that with like, if I, I can riff off of the thing I just heard myself play by playing another note deliberately. So like, there's a little bit of melding in there, but at some point I feel like I have to learn how to like think a note and then play it. But you're saying you're essentially, you're able to make something that sounds musical and, and interesting and good, and even though, right. even though you haven't actually like heard it in your head yet you're just like i know that strumming this and strumming that and strumming that will make a a nice flow even though you haven't yeah audited it in your head before playing it right yeah i think if you combine that with a little bit of theory structure you'd have a pretty powerful prediction engine and an ability to like move between shapes even without hearing them although that would be a nice bonus Oh my god, we this is a bit of a side note, but we listened to a podcast about people who would be hired to uh play scores for silent films back in the day. Right. As in like your local theater would just have a guy whose job it was to play a piano score to whatever the movie was. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about that at all because everything you know comes with a standardized score now but like many times they wouldn't tell you what to play at all there was no like score that came with these movies so wherever like if you went to one theater on one block and then in the same city went to a different theater you would get an entirely different musical score that was just made up by whoever was the guy that was hired to be there. So of course you'd want to go to the theater that had the guy that did the coolest like, musical <laughs> Yeah, that was a selling point. But that's so crazy to me, the idea that these people, that these, you know, pianists just, I guess maybe probably got to watch the movie like one or two times and then just kind of had to riff on it and go with it. And every single performance would be slightly different, you know, I mean, every performance always is slightly different, but probably even more so here because, you know, a movie goes into production or goes out uh, to the populace and they want to be, you know, playing it. You don't have a lot of time to to practice and, and get perfect with it. So you kind of have to like improvise and play on the fly and yeah. do cool stuff. And I thought I just thought that was such a wild concept. I, I don't think that musicians are often used in that way anymore, in that more improvisational way. Yeah. It sounds like you're 
bedtime story time is preparing you for a life in silent film play along though. Well, that's exactly that's right. what it was reminding me of because I can imagine you like talking to your son and telling a story and then kind of like making a little tone on the guitar that like goes with the, you know, theme of whatever the story is at the moment. And that's a very, it's a very similar vibe and it's very cool, I think. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And that has happened like a couple of times, but mostly it's just me noodling. I'm just, <laughs> I'm not good enough to do a, a, a mood on purpose. Nah, you gotta get good. Yeah, that's right. How many more years of story time ahead of you? So you got time to improve. Hopefully, lots. Hopefully, go. lots of years. I mean, if you get really good at that guitar, <laughs> then even more, right? Right, right, right. He'll he'll want me to come serenade him to sleep when he's thirty. Yeah, teenager son being like, "Keep going. I want to hear more." Are we ready for another topic? Yeah, sure. Yeah, Shannon, your topic is mini game. Guess the animal from bad old timey descriptions. Yeah. So back in the day, people didn't always get to see animals from around the world, and they wrote things about them to try to describe them to other people. And then sometimes people drew the things that were described to them. But I thought that it would be interesting to try to play a game where I tried to read some old descriptions and you guys tried to figure out what animal I'm talking about, uh, based purely on the the description by the historian in question. Do um, we get to know the time period or historian? Uh, it depends on my source. Okay. I have a couple of things pulled up. I'll give okay. you uh, here. This one's this one's uh, an easy one. Okay. Uh, this is Pliny the Elder, first century CE, in his book Natural History. Uh, the Ethiopians give the name Nabun to a beast which has the neck of a horse, feet and legs like an ox, and the head of a camel. It is a reddish color and has white spots, so it is also called the camel leopard. It was first seen in Rome in the circus put on by Caesar. Any guesses as to that animal? Red with light spots, did you say? It is reddish color with white spots. Reddish with white spots. It's got the head of a camel and the neck of a horse. That sounds like a giraffe to me. That is a giraffe. Ding, ding, ding. Nice. Good job. Other people have also described it as having the neck of a snake, yeah, which is uh, another wild one. That is very funny. Yeah, I would describe a giraffe as having the neck of a giraffe more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, but they had to use what they had on hand. Uh, let's see. How about another one? Now, some of them are a little tricky because I have to not say the name of the animal while I am also trying to... That would help, yeah. To do this. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Herodotus, 484 to 425 BCE in histories. I will now show what kind of creature this is. For the four winter months, it eats nothing. It has four feet and lives both on land and in the water, for it lays eggs and hatches them out on the land, and it passes the greater part of the day on dry ground and the night in the river, the water being warmer than the air and dew. No mortal creature known to us grows from so small a beginning to such greatness, for its eggs are not much bigger than goose eggs, and the young animal is of a bigness answering thereto, but it grows to a length of seventeen cubits and more. It has eyes like a pig's eyes, and great teeth and tusks answering to the bigness of its body. It is the only animal that has no tongue. It does not move its lower jaw. It is the only creature that brings the upper jaw down upon the lower. It has also strong claws, 
and a scaly impenetrable hide on its back. It is blind in the water, but very keen of sight in the air. Since it lives in the water, its mouth is full within of leeches. All birds and beasts flee from it, except only the sandpiper, which is with (laughs) it at peace because the bird... Because this bird does the animal a service, for whenever the animal comes ashore out of the water and then opens its mouth, and this it does for the most part to catch the west wind, the sandpiper goes into its mouth and eats the leeches. The animal is pleased by this service and does the sandpiper no harm. I know what this is. What is this? I mean, this is definitely a crocodile. Ding, ding, ding! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would do, that was actually, I actually had that one too, but very, I was going to say alligator. I was enjoying the sandpiper too much. I the sandpiper is good. Well, there's a lot of. Dis- uh, I also like uh, Pliny's here, which is just it is a curse on four legs and equally pernicious on land and in river. We need like a buzzer. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I think you should just uh, buzz in when. No, I, I think we should finish the description because they're so good. Well, no, uh, but there's true. like you. I don't. You don't understand. I'm reading like a one description of each source, but there's many sources in here. Oh, okay. Uh, this one I think you'll get pretty quick. Uh, this is from Aristotle, 350 BCE. The eye is turned round in a circle, and it can direct its vision to any side so that it can see where it will. The change in the color of its skin takes place okay, when it is on. filled with air. Wait, well, I was gonna say chameleon. <laughs> it can acquire either a black color like that of the crocodile, or like that of the lizard, or spotted with white and black like the panther. This change place takes place over the whole body, for the eyes also change like the rest of the body, and so does the tail. Which you are correct, it is the chameleon yes, in that case. Famous for eyes that go around and they having a are. skin that changes color. So that's a pretty good description, actually. Except for the being inflated part. I'm not exactly sure how that comes Okay, in. Isidore of Seville, 7th century CE. A land vermin, so named for its great number of feet. It rolls up into a ball when it is touched. They are generated under rocks out of the moisture of the earth. I love that. That I don't, what do you even call that? It's not an With urban such legend. Certainty. I mean, it's a millipede or a centipede, maybe. It's a millipede. Yeah, yeah. well, you're not supposed to have a in this game. Like, talk about the name of it. Or yeah, I guess I shouldn't have said that. Yeah, it's all right. It's what? it's uh, it's the author's pro- mistake. There's a word for that, that the old-timey belief that bugs just kind of appeared in places. Like, what comes to mind is old wives' tale, but, like, that's not, there's nothing wifey yeah, about no. it. I know the one uh, th- you There's mean. a science term, and I mostly remember because I learned about how somebody did an experiment. Spontaneous generation. That sounds very possible. That the experiment was very good because they just took a piece of meat and put it under a piece of glass and waited. Oh, no. And it then figured out whether there were bugs in it or not. And I thought right, right. Just... Well, what, what they had to do eventually was um, have a curved pipe so that it was exposed to the air uh, because the the hypothesis was that um, the air was required for the spontaneous generation to happen. So you couldn't just you couldn't just seal it. Yeah, that's no fun. Okay, here's another one from Pliny the Elder, first century CE. Despite its large large horns, this is a marvelously fast animal. Its horns look like the sheaths of swords. When it is on rocks and wants to jump from one to another, it sways towards its horns as though whirled with a catapult, and the recoil allows it to leap <laughs> most nimbly. Whoa. <laughs> um. is that, that's the whole thing? The, the Aberdeen bestiary of 1200 CE adds... Uh, 
that the two horns are of such strength that if it were to fall from a high mountain to the lowest depths, its whole body would be supported by those two horns. I mean, they could be a goat, I guess, but they had goats. Close enough. It's the Ibex. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Of which apparently like to catapult themselves. I don't think I knew that about an Ibex. In the middle of your answer, I was so sure you were going to say it could be a ghost. (laughs) It could be a ghost. (laughs) Could be. Uh, Julius Caesar apparently wrote this. Hmm. There are also animals which are called, and I won't say it, but it isn't actually the name of the fucking animal. Uh, the shape of these and the varied color of their skins is much like rose, but in size they surpass them a little and are destitute of horns and have legs without joints and ligatures, nor do they lie down for the purpose of rest, nor if they have been thrown down by any accident can they raise or lift themselves up. Trees serve as beds to them. They lean themselves against them, and thus reclining only slightly, they take their rest. When the huntsmen have discovered from the footsteps of these animals whether they are accustomed to betake themselves, they either undermine all the trees at the roots or cut into them so far that the upper part of the trees may appear to be left standing. When they have leant upon them according to their habit, they knock down by their weight the unsupported trees and fall down themselves along with them. That's how you hunt them, apparently, by tricking them into this um i will give you some more from pliny the elder our favorite Uh, it is the closest of all animals to humans in intelligence it understands the language of its own country and can therefore understand and obey orders whoa they are wise and just remember their duties enjoy affection and respect religion (laughs) (laughs) they know that their tusks are valuable so when a tusk falls off they bury it they are gentle and do no harm unless provoked this has got to be an elephant You've got it. It's an elephant. At first, when you were describing this, it made me think of like, I remember reading someone's proposed like, what would it take to scale up a cockroach to the size of an elephant? Mm. And like describing like what, how you would do that with bug anatomy. It was a lot like what you described. I just, during your description, I just got so distracted by the trees where you cut off the bottom of the tree and the top stays suspended. And I was just thinking about Minecraft trees, and I just got yeah, really lost. Yeah, oh, 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 it's a creeper. <laughs> it's a creeper? That's got to be it. Elephants definitely have knees. I think so. Oh, this was like a recurring theme in the elephant one, is that the elephants have no knees. This yeah. is apparently a, a strong belief is that elephants have no knee joints, and if they fall down, they can't get up again. Yeah. I don't know why this is a strong, yeah, that uh, also gave a me... recurring thing. I think that contributed to the Minecraft vibes because I was just thinking about oh, yeah. thick legs and just, I don't know, man. Alianus on the characteristics of animals from 170 to 230 CE. This is the enemy of the dead body. It swoops upon it and devours it and watches a man in the throes of death. It follows in the wake of armies in foreign parts, knowing by prophetic instinct that they are marching to war and that every battle provides corpses, as they have discovered. Uh, It is said that there are no males of this animal ever born. They are all female. And knowing this, and fearing to be left childless, they take measures to produce them as follows. (laughs) They fly against the south wind. If, however, the wind is not from the south, they open their beaks to the east wind, and the inrush of air impregnates them, and their period of gestation lasts for three years. But it is said never to make a nest. But I have been informed 
that they don't lay eggs, but that in their birth pangs they produce chicks and that these are feathered from birth, or so I have heard. (laughs) Uh, St. Ambrose also says that they are said to conceive without contact with the male seed and without the union of sexes generate offspring that live to a ripe old age and are able to foretell a man's death. Any guesses on this animal? I feel like I should know this one. They sense corpses at a great distance, even across the seas. They can even fly high and see corpses hidden in mountains. I mean, honestly, that doesn't sound unrealistic, knowing what I know about real animals. Yeah, yeah, like any scavenger bird could... Uh, but I don't know. I don't know about this whole like the scavenger bird. Yeah, it's a vulture. But like a vulture. But do the yeah. do, okay. is it a thing that vultures like his, historically we thought they didn't mate or that they gestated for three years? Here's what's great about this to me is that we have recently at gosh I think it was at the Wild Animal Park in San Diego one of the California condors did reproduce without mating. They can do that, actually. Holy shit. Females can, in fact, produce offspring without uh, reproducing with a male. Life finds a way. It is extremely rare, but vultures and condors are one of the species that can do this thing. And I think that's fascinating that the ancient people also thought this. I'm wondering... If somebody had one in captivity and it did this, oh, because that's sure. the only way they figured out that the condor did it. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Joke's on us, I guess. Are we uh, ready for another topic? No, I love this topic. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> we should probably move on. Anyway, this is a great game to play with your friends. And I'm really quick going to plug what I'm using for this, by the way. Medieval Bestiary. Bestiary.ca slash beasts. Um, It lists alphabetical beasts, it gives you a quick description, and then if you click on the sources tab at the top, it gives you the actual descriptions and who wrote them and what time. So if you ever want to play this with your friends, have fun with that. Yeah, this sounds like a fun party game. This is good. So my topic is how to pronounce McPaint. Uh, you, well, you, you, may, you, may have, you may have guessed that um, I, I pronounce it McPaint. This is the uh, the paint program that came with early Macintoshes, M-A-C-P-A-I-N-T. Mac paint. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've always pronounced it McPaint. <laughs> the, the one that comes with Windows, is it Ms. Paint? <laughs> no, that's MS Paint. Are you sure? <laughs> M-A-C paint? Yeah, that's the, the one you hey, used this to- is a quick topic, Jim. You're wrong. <laughs> obviously supposed to be mac paint because that's <laughs> but that's very adorable i always pronounced it mcpaint and i i was berated multiple times in my childhood by by mac <laughs> users who were like no it's mac paint but someone once had told me that uh the apple the the namesake apple the macintosh apple was pronounced mcintosh Macintosh, and so I stuck to my guns. And it's like, no, it's it's like the, the like the apple. But is that true? No, it's not true. That person <laughs> that person was wrong. But I'm still sticking to my guns. <laughs> okay, so you were wrong, and then somebody else was wrong at you, and then you just no, no, no. It was the other way around. Someone else was wrong, and then I was wrong. Oh, okay. And then you dug in your heels and said, no, I'm right because... Right. And I still I continue to dig in my heels. What's your reasoning now? Oh, because it's fun to tweak the noses of Mac users. Yeah, because it's funny. That's, that's, that's fair. fair. 
it is it is actually kind of funny. I'm just laughing so much because I thought that this was going to be like a legitimate <laughs> controversy <laughs> and not just something you did <laughs> wrong. Just the diary entry. I'm just delighted by the possibility of calling it Ms. Paint now. Yeah, it's Ms. Paint, you know? You know, my friend. Ms. Paint. Right, like MS Pac-Man. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of things where people read it away and just assume that that's what it is and never correct themselves. <laughs> or, or, or like make a, or make a point of never correcting themselves. Mm. Yeah, for a laugh. That's, that's allowed. No, I'm deadly serious about this. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I don't mean to uh, minimize your your seriousness. Uh, uh, so yeah, Mac and Mick. So that's like a thing. Is it? Isn't it? I'm pretty sure there's there is a spelling difference. You would think so. I I've definitely seen both spellings pronounced both ways of yeah, like I... of like people's surnames. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking about the like the McElroy brothers. Right. Are spelled the McElroy brothers and they talk about how people always call them the McElroys and they're like, no, we're the McElroys. Yeah. Um, they got to make it complicated. So, I mean, by that logic, it's just whoever it is, is correct. Like whoever's name it is, is correct. So if you, if that person had been right about. Yeah. I'm going to name my son McPaint and then it's definitely <laughs> going to be pronounced McPaint. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. It's like the pronunciation in some situations, the correct pronunciation is just whatever the person says it is. Yeah. Even if, even if, ugh, like I had this problem once with a, a dog owner who <laughs> named their dog, it was, uh, they named the dog Rietsu and like were very clearly, you know, aping a Japanese sounding name, right? But I can't remember how they spelled it, but they, they spelled it wrong. <laughs> like, they spelled it how you, how you would not spell it if you were trying to phonetically write out that Japanese name. It was just, I can't remember what it was now, but it was wrong. And it bothered me to no end because I was, like, looking at the written name and I was pronouncing it the way that one should phonetically pronounce it if one was trying to read it as Japanese was saying it that way. And I kept getting corrected that, no, that wasn't the dog's name. The dog's name was this was said this other way and i brought up that they were wrong and, and no one asked the dog well no one asked the dog of course but but i i literally did have my other friends say well no you're wrong because that's the dog's name and i looked at them and i was like this person was clearly trying to do a fake japanese name and did it wrong so aren't they wrong and they're like no whatever the name is is right so you're wrong yeah and i was just like Ah, uh, you're right. I guess the correct pronunciation is whatever the name is, even if you definitely only did that pronunciation because you were wrong about picking something else, mm. you know? But that happens a lot. I mean, that's how you get a lot of names where there are multiple spellings that have different pronunciations is usually just because somebody somewhere along the family line, whether they were immigrating or whatever, changed the pronunciation. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I just think that's weird because it's like, well, which one is correct? And the answer is language evolves constantly and it's we shouldn't really get too hung up on it. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Yes. So for this topic, we're doing a, a polem. A polem. That's what it says. 
It's a poem that takes place in a Tumblr poll option text. So if you are a user of Tumblr like myself, you know that recently Tumblr um, started doing polls, which Tumblr immediately just memefied and made into weird, you know, snail versus mouse races and things like that. Um, or, yeah, you know, just normal things like snail versus or, mouse races. you know, try to make a cake and each of the pieces were uh, ingredients of a cake which led to the vanilla extract fiasco because we made a cake that was something like 80% vanilla extract and then somebody actually baked the dang thing and it was <laughs> apparently edible um so yes this is how tumblr has decided to use polls apparently you can pvp polls by replying to people's posts with a poll that essentially is like is op an idiot <laughs> yes no so they've sort of uh gone off the rails a bit but one of the cool things that i saw early on was this poem now there are lots of poems which is a poem that has been made using the poll format right i mean am i supposed to look at it do i dare look at it tell me what you see are we oh oh alex is going to be reading this okay oh am i why not okay Preferably aloud, just because we're on a podcast. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't expect it to have this much text. Okay. Um, all right, so the question in this poll is, you may walk out of the underworld, but you have to trust that she is behind you. Do not look back to check. Uh, do I reveal the scores of each of these? Let's reveal the scores at the end. Okay. I trust that she is there. I trust that she is there, I think. I trust that she is there, please. I trust that she is there. Can you hear me? I trust that she is there. Say something so that I can hear you. I trust that she is there. What if it's a lie? I trust that she is there. I can't even see her shadow on the wall. I trust that she is there. Say something. Say something. Look behind. And I personally think what is kind of beautiful about it is that uh, the first option, I trust that she is there, and the last option, look behind, have almost exactly the same percent of poll choices yeah 17.7 percent and 17.6 percent and i have no idea if that was like you know manufactured but um when i first saw this poem it did not have the results yet so um i actually saw it before the results came in and i'm now only now seeing that those two results have the about the same and that i trust that she is there is winning by 0.1 percent yeah i think it's poetical that these two options are so close together. Yeah, like, I mean, I saw this poem and was really into it before I even saw the results. And then after the results came in, it was, that was just really cool that those were so um, neck and neck. Yeah. Uh, And I like the structure of the poem being like, you start from a point of trust, and then you are slowly, like, doubting yourself as you go down. (laughs) I don't know, it's just, it's just really well done. I think yeah. it really uh, captures the and it and the uh, something about the um, gosh. So everybody knows the story. Well, not everybody, but you know, most people reading this poem know the story of Orpheus and Eurydice, and they know that if you look behind, he loses her. Right. That that the whole point of it is that he needed to trust and trust that she was there. Um, and I feel like. By doing the poem in a format where you, the viewer, um, have to select an option, it is really like forcing you into the shoes 
of Orpheus in the moment of his uncertainty. Because you can look back at the story in hindsight and go, why didn't he just not look? Like, if he'd just not looked, everything would have been fine. Um, But you're not, like, experiencing that, like, you know, in the moment terror of, well, what if, what if I was lied to? Or what if she isn't really there? And what if all of this was for nothing, you know? And I feel like, to some extent, the meta element of making you choose where you're at mentally with, like, believing she's there or not... Uh, is really a poignant way of putting people into the character's frame of mind for that story. Yeah, yeah. And you've got me thinking about, like, how would I make an Oregon Trail version of this story? <laughs> okay. Explain. Uh, I mean, the the value of Oregon Trail is not that it teaches you, like, facts and figures about history. Oh, I see. It, it's putting you in the, that in that experience. Right. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a... A really underutilized kind of educational game. Okay. I don't think this one works as an educational game. Like, I think you would have to create some, like, I think you, the way you'd have to do it is do it like Prisoner's Dilemma, where, like, looking back is, is whether that's the right move is different every time. Hmm. I th- yeah, I think you'd have to put somebody in a scenario. I think the way to do this one, if you were really trying to do that, would be to not start with the frame story that they know i think you'd have to put them in a situation that is similar but where they don't know the outcome and then explain to them like okay hey like you know after the fact the way you felt was how orpheus would have felt or whatever right but i still i mean i didn't choose an option (laughs) i chickened out i chickened out when i saw it because i just it made me very like emotionally uncomfortable to like pick one and i think the one that resonated with me most was say something Hmm. yeah but i didn't pick it and i do notice that that is oh no it isn't the next highest one the next highest one is actually i trust that she is there please interesting but it it is i don't know it's just it's something about it is, is like when you're already starting with the point of everybody knows how this goes it's pretty hard to impress that emotion on people and i feel like this did an okay job of that yeah yeah, yeah, it's it's a it is effective as like a like if you wanted to actually just like make it interactive in some meaningful way, this is a, actually a pretty pretty interesting and effective way to do that. Mm. In a way that like just doing the the straight up Oregon Trail treatment of it probably wouldn't work as well. Well, the difference there is that I mean that the Oregon Trail did have different outcomes for different people. <laughs> right. I mean the the whole point of like the literally the boiled down point of this story is have faith that this that she's there or you lose her <laughs> yeah and if if you know that you can't really organ trail that going into it if you are starting from the basis of this is what we're talking about i think you have to trick people into thinking that they're dealing with a different scenario before yeah but i do like art that does try to put people experientially into a story or a point in history and as soon as you start like kind of started explaining the Oregon Trail thing I was like oh I I see exactly what you mean the thing where where it it made you play out that experience in a way that put you more in the shoes of the people that would be in it um where it is making you make decisions because I think you can watch a lot of like you know gritty Oregon Trail TV shows or whatever but it's not quite the same as having to make those like really basic decisions like how much supplies are you gonna bring and then seeing that like 
you know, not work out for you and you lose, you know, the character that you named after your best friend, you know, or whatever, <laughs> right. in the media lab. I guess I'm just kind of entertained by this concept of extremely short form interactive fiction. Like, yeah, single bite size interactive fiction is kind of an interesting format. I don't know. I don't know how else to use it. I just think that's kind of an interesting. Sam Barlow, um, who made uh, her story and more recently, I think it's called Immortality. Famously, I don't know how famous it is. He made a, a text adventure in the late 90s called Isle, as in like a grocery store aisle. Okay. Uh, and the gimmick of that one is that there's a setup and you get to execute one command and that's then that's the end of your story. Huh. Okay. You, you get the outcome of what you did. And, and, um, one of the things that allows the author to do is create an extremely rich set of responses. Yeah. Much more so than you'd get from traditional interactive fiction. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then it's, it's also an example of like extremely short bite-sized, uh, IF. Except that like, you know, people who play this game play it a hundred times in a row, trying different stuff. Right. Cause everybody wants to try a different experience. Yeah, that, that's another thing about I mean, the reason I chickened out on giving a response to this one was that you don't you get to give one response. Yeah. And that's actually like, I think, crucial to the to the effect. Yeah, I agree. You only get one choice. And so, like, I'm looking at these options. Right. And I know the story. And so there's a part of me that is trying to that wants to pick. I trust that she is there because that's, quote unquote, the right answer within the story you know, the context of the story, if he had trusted that she is there, he would have gotten to have Eurydice. And then there's another part of me that wants to click look behind because that's also the right answer, because that's what happened in the story. And then there's still another part of me that wants to pick the one that is like resonating with me most emotionally. But then there's probably the biggest part, which is I want to see what everybody else did. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what everybody else picked. And if you pick an option, you get to see the results so far. So you get to see how you stack up to what everybody else's experience with the poem was. Yeah. And part of me was just like, I really want to pick an option because I want to know what everybody else was thinking about this. But I also don't because what if I, I don't know, picked wrong by some measure, if that makes sense. Yeah. There, there's like a bit of a fear to it. Um, and this is true for like a lot of the other ones that I've seen in this format. They aren't like poems per se, but like, you know, for example, the make a cake one. You look at it and it has like the ingredients for a cake and you're sitting there trying to be like, okay, if I really want this to be the actual percentages for a cake, I'm going to try to think like, what did other people pick? Well, the first I'm thinking like, what are the main ingredients in a cake? So, okay, there needs to be probably more flour. And then, oh, but probably everybody else picked flour, right? And then, you know, or like trying to like play these multiple levels of like what other people may have or may have not picked yeah. to get your results. And then you just end up with an all vanilla extract cake. Let's assume that we live in a rational world where everybody thinks like me. Because <laughs> that's the only reasonable way to approach this problem. Mm. What I would do is I would like look up the actual proportions you would want in the cake, and mm -hmm. then I would pick randomly weighted by each weighted by the proportions. Well, that's very logical. And assume that everybody else also did that, and then you'd get the right proportions for the cake. Yeah, that checks out. 
Yeah, and I've seen other ones where they give you, like, you know, instructions instead where they say, like, uh, let's make a perfect stairway, for example. And it was something, it was like, if if this post has this number of notes, if the number of notes ends in these numbers, you should pick the following options. And that did, in fact, result in a perfect stairwell, even steps. Because oh. people did follow the instructions, by and large. Very nice. Um, because everyone went, oh, is that going to work? I'm going to follow the instructions, and it did work. Mm. So it's been kind of a an, <laughs> an interesting world of. I don't. I don't think I have seen any polls that were like actually just polls about things. <laughs> just, they've all been weird stuff like this. Yeah, just like, poll poll jokes. Yeah, this is I, why I like Tumblr. The instructions thing made me realize. Oh, you know what? The what I should have done. I, I actually didn't know about this cake poll cake poll but like instead of just assuming that we live in a rational world and everybody would think like me i should have created an iphone app that would tell you what how to vote on the cake poll and it would do the thing that i said yeah and then i would need to like seo the hell out of that app yeah and then everybody would have a great cake and then everybody would have a great cake although i do hear that the cake was edible mostly because um, vanilla extract largely cooks off in the oven. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another thing I've noticed people doing is uh, because everybody wants to see the results but doesn't necessarily always want to weigh in, almost every poll I've seen lately has option, you know, the, the options and at the end it just says show results or something like I'm too scared to be honest or I'm a coward, show me the results or something like that. I don't want my opinion to be weighed with the actual options. I just want to observe the poll. Right. I think is an interesting, uh, very quickly grown... um, Convention. Yeah. Like everybody just quickly realized, oh, this is a thing that people want and are going to behave that way. Yeah. That's the norm in Twitter polls too, which is weird because in Twitter polls, I think you can only have four options. Oh, sure. So like you're burning an option to have the show results button. Mm. You're you're burning 25% of your available options. Oh yeah, you get way more options than the Tumblr ones. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah. Let's do it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I was actually just distracted looking at a poll that was make a man and it was like <laughs> head, chest, leg, you know, but of course everybody just gave him a giant wiener. Okay, I was there. Was, uh, we just did a topic about big head mode, so I, that was where I, my head went. Oh mm. yeah, no, I the the resulting guy had a had a very large, yeah, very large wiener and didn't look very much like a person shape at all. <laughs> Shannon, your topic is airport teleportation. Oh yeah, this came up at dinner the other day. Where I don't know why, but what if? Okay, so what if you could teleport, but you could only teleport to the nearest international airport that would save some of my commute time i guess right in one direction maybe in one well yeah but in within those confines i mean initially it was just said as a joke of like man that would kind of stink because like then you don't get to deal like you don't get out of any of the long part of the travel so but then we started trying to think of ways in which you could you know do better because obviously you could just you know once you were flying close to whatever airport you wanted to be at you could just teleport out of the plane yeah save you some time that way i could pick a cheaper flight that goes past the airport i want to go to that's right and then just yoink out of there except that then you're probably going to get 
banned from air travel because you disappeared from a plane. I'll just show them my teleportation ability. Uh, why would you just show them the teleportation? Why would that help? So that they would allow me to go on the flight again. That's not how... Th no, they would be like, you bypassed, like, visa entry and coming into the country legally. You can't do that. Oh, I, I could just go back to the visa guys and say, hey, yeah, you forgot me. <laughs> okay. I, I like your very lawful good version of this. So in this discussion, we also decided that where you teleport to is the entrance to the airport, because it would be pretty bad if you just teleported, like, right, you know, past security without anybody knowing how you got in there or into some other part of the airport that you weren't supposed to be in. Right. So if you teleport to the entrance, then... If you try to take an international flight and they go, oh, this is the person who got on that international flight and then just disappeared, and we're going to question them and figure out what happened there, then you could deploy your teleportation ability to escape them. Right. And they wouldn't know that you just teleported to the entrance and are desperately trying to get a taxi out of there. They would think you were just a magical teleporter who could teleport. And and use the, still use the airport for some reason. They would probably wonder why you went on the plane, yes. Yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Maybe you just are into that. But to me, the image of somebody, like, trapped in an interrogation room, in trouble, and then revealing that they're a teleporter, and disappearing away, and having everybody in the room be like, oh, they can teleport. And then meanwhile, the teleporter has just teleported, like, 150 feet away to the curb in front of you know lax and is like taxi get me out of here before they spot me come on i gotta go and then later they see you on security and they're like why would he teleport and then they go because it's the last place we would have thought to look for him <laughs> i just imagine that in this world they're giving this teleporter way way more credit than they deserve i just kept thinking about like I don't know what the closest international airport is to any given place on Earth. Mm -hmm. And I just kept imagining like showing up at the wrong airport all the time. Like you fly halfway across the ocean. You're like, all right, it's time to go to Africa or whatever. And then you show up on some tiny island you've never heard of. And you're just like, oh, damn it. The next flight out of here isn't for like another week. <laughs> yeah, and you can't do anything because you just keep teleporting back to that airport. Yeah, once you've teleported to the airport, you're really in a gravity well of teleportation. Yeah, like, this isn't a good ability. I, I was trying to figure out if there's any way that you could make it, like, worth your time other than just to skip the commute to the airport from wherever you live. I could establish an international airport out of my home. Huh. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, no. Well, no. How does that help you? Well, then you could always go. No, no, you can't always go home because you always teleport to the nearest international no, airport. No, no, no. Always go home from next door. It's true, yeah. So it doesn't really. But I could. Help you. It would. It would. It would speed up the. Well, it wouldn't speed it up that much. It would help a lot if you live in Nebraska or Montana or something, but not help very much if you live in Oakland, right? Yeah. Right, like it would be very bad here, but I guess it would be, yes, it would be great if you wanted to live in like a very rural, like, like if you wanted to live in like Colorado, up in the steep mountains, up a windy road, and rather than having to like drive all the way down into the major, you know, into Denver to, to fly out, you could just teleport from your mountain cabin to the Denver airport, like then it would be convenient. 
but it would only be convenient for that and like literally nothing else. I'm ch- being chased by the cops up uh up to the top of a skyscraper, and then at the top I say, "See you later, suckers," and I jump off. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And then um, I could teleport to an airport on the way down, and they're like, "Where'd he go?" Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I I think this is ripe for like if you play your cards right and do cool stuff like that, everyone's gonna think that you're like this dangerous, you know, magical mastermind that can just teleport away anywhere. And as long as they never find out how actually extremely limited your teleportation powers are, yeah, then they won't catch you. Have to never get famous. I do yeah. imagine they would eventually figure it out, though, because you would keep going up on security cam footage in front of mm. whatever yeah. the nearest international airport was. But then, even then, they could be like, "Oh, like maybe he just uses international airports because it's then really easy to like get in a cab and get out of there." Right. But if he could teleport to anywhere, then why? Or they might think it's a proximity thing. Like, oh, maybe he can only teleport within a certain radius. And, and that's what it's about. And then they would, like, go to your house and, like, try to perimeter you in and be like, oh, he can't get away because we know he can't teleport farther away than this. Or he would have teleported farther the last time. And then, nope, psych, <laughs> you still managed to teleport to the nearest airport. I like thinking about stupid superpowers and how... You could try to game the system, but I really have a hard time. Superpowers. Superpowers. I do actually have a really hard time figuring out how to make this one useful. I've got it. Oh? Gerrymandering. Explain. I'm listening. You always teleport to the entrance of the airport, right? Yes. So you make it so that the airport is like 100 miles long and like one centimeter wide. And you put the entrance on the opposite end, and you put it next door to another one centimeter wide airport with the entrance on the opposite end. Okay. So this requires you to make these very bad airports. Yes. And define where the entrance is, and then presumably also define that they are an international airport, so they have to have at least one international flight coming in and out of them on a regular basis. Yeah. Probably, but that that also sounds like gerrymandering. What if the plane? What if it encompasses two airports, and one of them is in Canada, and one of them is in the United? What is the definition of airport? Is what I'm getting at here. Yeah. I, well, then maybe it comes down. I mean, if this is like a power within you, it like is it defined by what you think the entrance to the airport is? There you go. Or is it defined by what the actual entrance to the airport is in reality? Because if it's based on what you believe to be the airport entrance you could just believe something real hard you could convince yourself that would be a hell of a skill i wish i could do that even that i can't teleport to a airport (laughs) yeah i mean you'd have to like get somebody in on it and be like i need you to trick me into thinking that this is the entrance of an airport this is, no, this is perfect because I trick me into believing that the own, the definition of international airport is an airport that spans multiple countries, and then I can define these stupid one centimeter wide airports that are a thousand miles long and go into Canada and use them to teleport around. I mean, I feel like the other way is actually easier because if it is based on what is actually an international airport entrance, then like if that means like what does that mean? Like, what is that based on? Could somebody just be like, write down, like, you know, this is the entrance of 
blank international airport and it's not even an airport like it's just like their garage could you just like write that down in some way like how legal does that have to be oh yeah which way is it because either way is either way you could game that you just have to believe it so here's what i heard i heard that if you drink a glass of water while standing on your head you can believe an airport is anything you want okay other people say you take 10 small sips of water i'm making a hiccup joke this is like a hiccup cure okay It took me a minute. I'm sorry. I got really lost in how how on earth are you supposed to drink water while standing on your head? I did actually try that one time. How'd that go? I got water up my nose. That's what I thought. But it was worth it. Also, everybody where, knows where, that did, you're did your hiccups go away. I didn't have hiccups. I just wanted to try it. Everyone knows you're supposed to hold your nose and hold your ears and swallow water. Oh, sure. Yeah. Obviously. And then, you, and then you can believe anything you want. Exactly. Man, if I held my nose while I was upside down trying to drink water, I wouldn't have gotten water in my nose. Has someone finally made a hiccup cure app? I'm going to search the Google Play Store. I'm sure they have. Wait, why right? would that be an app? Well, it doesn't have to work. Oh. <laughs> you know what it is, though? You know what the hiccup cure app is? It's going to be a bunch of screamers. It could be. Right. That's then all it's going to be is it just... It's only going to work once. Like, click this to learn tips for how to get rid of your hiccups and then it's just going to be a screamer hiccups gone install oh no (laughs) jim just so you're aware it's gonna be a screamer he was never heard from again (laughs) this is i'm very excited about this (laughs) is that what those are called am i making that up? i think so yeah jump scared i think i've heard that name before well play it with the volume up (laughs) oh i i feel like i should save this I should save this for when I actually have hiccups. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You should. Or put it in the topics bucket for you next You only time. get to be screamered once. That's right. Yosko. <laughs> and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. Oh, all right. Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on the Topic Lords Discord. And Shannon, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I guess since I admitted that I'm on Tumblr, you can find me at Whistletown on Tumblr. You just doxed yourself on, on national public radio. Can't believe I wanna know how many followers you're gonna get. Is that a thing you can get on Tumblr? It'll all be porn bots. Oh man. hundred <laughs> percent of them will be porn bots. <laughs> porn bots listen to this show? Some of them, presumably. Uh thanks so much for being on. Anytime. Thanks for having us. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.